dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdock. Hey there, and welcome to Save the City Podcast. It's episode six of the podcast. This week we're covering Flash, season two, episode six, Interzoom, written by Gabrielle Stanton and Brooke Elkheimer, and directed by J.J. Macaro. We're also covering Arrow, season four, episode six, Lost Souls, written by Beth Schwartz and Emilio Ortega Aldrich, and directed by Antonio Negrete. And after the end music, we will cover Supergirl Season 1, Episode 3, Fight or Flight, written by Michael Grassi and Rachel Schuchert, and directed by Dermot Downs. We do the Supergirl at the end because uh, this is primarily a Flash and Arrow podcast, and so we know that that might not interest everybody. Um, So we make it so that once you get to the end music, you can turn off if you don't want to hear the Supergirl stuff. Also, real quickly, just want to say we don't have any guests this week. It's just me with you this week because uh, my music schedule forced me to record this uh, fairly early on Thursday and I wasn't able to coordinate with Donald or Camille this week. But we will have them back in the future. Just want to make sure that everybody understands that. And thanks for your patience. By the way, my name is Matt Murdick. And I am from SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like our back episodes, our social media and contact links, and podcatcher links. And if you could take the time to leave me a review on iTunes or on Stitcher, uh, or really whatever podcatcher app that you use, it would be very much appreciated. If you do want to contact me with any feedback you have regarding these episodes, feel free to do so. How do you do that, you ask? Well, you can send an email to SaveTheCityPodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at SaveTheCityPod, or you can call the Rewatching Good TV listener line, which is 314-669-1840. And if you leave a message or an email or a tweet uh, to me by let's say 7 a.m. wherever you are in the world on a Thursday morning, then I can include it in the podcast. Otherwise, I'll hold on to it for the next week. I won't pass over it and completely forget about it. I'll try and pull out stuff that was answered in the next week's episode That if you had a question or whatever. But other than that, um, thoughts are always welcome. And I guess that's enough about this podcast. So let's get right into talking about Flash first. Once again, enter Zoom. Man, what a great episode. I mean, this episode had everything in it. It it had something for, I think, just about every kind of Flash fan that's out there. It had the funny, it had action, it had scariness, it had poignant stuff, uh, it had something for shippers. Um, it was just kind of like this big, delicious stew of greatness, especially to me. Um, let's start off just by talking about Zoom himself, though. I mean, whoa. This dude is, like, sadistic and scary. And from the looks of him, he's evidently kind of intimidating physically as well because there were certain shots where he made everybody else seem so small. I was wondering, was this guy, like, seven foot tall or something? Especially Linda Park and even Barry. Um, He made them look really small. And I don't know if they chose to do that just to make him seem more intimidating um, but yeah, he was waving Barry around like a doll while he was gloating. And, um, you know, when you saw him again, just with Linda Park, uh, in earth one, the first time we see him in earth one, or even, you know, at the Jesse quick cage, by the way, uh, Jesse quick, that was a nice little reference in there with the Jesse and Harrison scene. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but Back to Zoom, I mean, it's great that they made his presence seem so big because, like I said, subconsciously, he just becomes even scarier than he already is. And the end result seems to be that Barry is paralyzed from the waist down. He says he can't feel his legs. That's scary. I don't know if he, like, what he did. I guess we'll have to find out. But it's seemingly going to have some ramifications, uh, at least for the very next episode by the preview. So... 
we'll have to see what that means. And as for him and Barry's showdown, I mean, he nearly killed Barry with ease. I mean, he wasn't seemingly having any trouble at all. And I don't have any idea how they're going to fight this guy. I didn't really like the approach that they took with the whole, well, we can fight while he's falling because it seems like he would still be able to move his arms really fast. Um, so does it really, does it really put him on equal footing in any way if they're both falling from the sky? Um, I didn't find that to be much of a solution. They're going to have to think of something better than that. He was so fast that he even was able to turn around and catch, uh, Harrison's shot at him. He didn't see Cisco's shot, I guess. Um, so that. I guess was effective enough to stop him, but he still sped away. It's not like it they really slowed him down all of that much. So it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of a solution that they come up with to finally get this guy and all of the havoc that he's probably going to cause in the meantime. My second favorite part of this episode was all things Linda Park, believe it or not. Um, first, uh, the Earth 2 version of Linda Park Dr. Light, I guess I'll just say this. I don't quite understand how she got out. I mean, I know Cisco gave some kind of explanation, but none of it really made any sense to me. Um, the great thing is, is that actually for all I was concerned with, it didn't really matter either. It just made Dr. Light seem even more badass than she already was. Um, so I'm not really going to nitpick it. It's just, I'm just saying that, you know, whatever kind of scientific explanation they gave, um, went a little over my head. I, I really want to talk, though, about Earth-1 Linda Park, our Linda Park, who I thought in this episode was pretty adorable and, and funny uh, and brave, too. Um, I do want to go back to the funny for a second, though, before I get off too much on the brave. That whole training sequence, oh my gosh, that was so completely hilarious and awesome. Uh from, you know, Cisco having these cutouts <laughs> for her to shoot at. To Cisco's humor about everything to, to uh, Wells' basic impatience. To just seeing Linda trying to get a handle on everything. I mean, it was all just one big belly laugh for me from the beginning to the end of it. I loved it. I loved it. And like I said, Linda is brave too, and really kind of a believable kind of brave. Because when things weren't going so well, she was still trying. And then when she realized that she was causing more problems than solving them, I, I felt bad for her in that moment. But then you have the reveal of who the Flash is to her. That was a great moment. Uh, and it gave her the last bit of courage to go through with it. I will say this, that sometimes I have a problem with uh, this fact that's in all of these shows now. Flash... Arrow, Supergirl, um, I just feel like too many people know who our heroes are in real life. I don't know why that bothers me so much, because uh, it just seems like it puts more and more people in peril. I guess it's the thing I worry about. This reveal didn't really bother me as much, I guess, because Barry had had enough trust that Linda could actually do this, that he trusted her with his biggest secret. Um, and I, I think that that's what made that really kind of sweet and, and, and poignant for Linda to know, uh, who Barry is. Uh, and I thought that during the reveal, actually, that was really nicely done by the actors and the writing was fine and, and the director just made it look great as well. So I was really happy with that scene, even though normally I wouldn't be happy with, uh, you know, our heroes revealing their secret identity to yet another person. But uh, as far as Barry goes, I mean, he had some pretty poignant stuff in this. I, I love the uh, the talks with Joe West in this particular episode. I love it when they do that. Uh, when when Joe is offering Barry advice about stuff, and sometimes it's whether Barry asks for it or not. But Joe usually only steps in when he when he thinks it's necessary, and usually he's right. Um, I, I'm glad that even though Barry's dad is now out of prison, that it's not like he doesn't talk to Joe any differently. He talks to him in the same way. He doesn't just run off and call his dad to talk to someone about his problems. Um, Joe and Barry have always had this 
father son kind of dynamic on this show and it's great to have it once again in this episode because um it it's something that i think is is one of the really endearing things about about this show in general joe doesn't really talk to patty very easily though i mean obviously the secret identity keeping reasons uh, he can't talk to her about some of the stuff that he's up to, but I, I did feel a little bad for Patty because she's kind of like the biggest fan of the hunt down of, uh, and the metahuman stuff. And, uh, she's kind of getting left out of it. Um, so when Joe kind of gave Barry the advice, I was glad to see that he took some time to be with her in the episode. And now I guess I'll get caught up in this whole love triangle bit that the CW mandate seems to dictate um, that kind of disgusts me. But I I will say that uh, I do like it when Barry and Patty are together because they, they do seem to be making each other so happy right now. And Barry's at a point right now where I think he needs some happiness. Um, you know, this whole um, thing weighing over his head about what uh, Eobard Thawne said you know um it's good to see him take joe's advice and just try and create some of his own happiness uh something that he wants um i feel like that him and patty both deserve some happiness and uh, hopefully that will continue until the point where it ends up breaking our heart or until uh it becomes nasty because iris gets involved um at that point then uh, i won't be a big fan of it but for right now I'm pretty on board with the whole Barry Patty stuff, despite where I know where it's going to lead to. And see, I talked about Joe and Barry and, and, and their father son kind of relationship, but we also have a new father in the show. Da, 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 Harrison Wells. Um, that's another thing that I loved about this episode was all of the Harrison stuff. The way he is so different with the people on earth one and with the people in Star Labs, as compared to the way he is with his daughter, Jesse, Jesse Quick. Uh, I mean, th- again, that was awesome. But anyway, remember that really last year, the only time we saw Harrison when he was actually Harrison rather than Thawne, um, I guess was when Thawne killed him. You know, maybe we saw a couple of things that might have happened before Thawne killed him. I don't remember if that was the case or not now, to be perfectly honest. But we did see that fairly sweet side of him with his wife in last year's uh, couple of flashbacks. So it seems like this family side guy is pretty much the same. He was very pleasant with Jesse. Uh, Jesse even mentioned that, you know... um, she never hears that side of her father. She only hears, the, I guess, what would be the sweet side. Um, and I don't know if that means that maybe that even uh, our old Harrison Wells, prior to Thawne killing him, uh, would have been just as nasty to his co-workers as well. Uh, we may never know, uh, of course. Uh, but I do love this whole slow reveal about Earth to Harrison. Uh, I think that it was fantastic stuff. It 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 also um, builds Harrison's motivation as to why he even came here seeking Barry out, uh, and why he's so impatient with it. Of course, because we know that his daughter uh, has been kidnapped, although we've known that for a week or so. But it's now it's kind of out in the open with everybody else, and um, I I don't want to say that Harrison Wells is a good guy, but I I. I'm not willing to call him a villain right now either. Uh, A victim, um, an angry victim, for sure. And maybe even with a certain degree of guilt, because, you know, Jesse did seem kind of disappointed with him uh, when they saw each other last. And then, of course, then he found out that she had been taken from the university. So, um, yeah, there's some guilt motivation in there as well, I think. Um, and as far as Jesse Quick herself goes, I love that Jesse Quick. Um, you know uh, this act, this young actress uh, Violet Bean. I've been following her on Twitter. She seems really sweet, and uh, I, I hope that she gets a lot more chance to to do uh, to do more with this role. You know, um, 
but Harrison himself, uh, you know, Tom Cavanaugh is just doing great with this blunt and abrupt and, and annoyed. Um, and the stuff with Cisco was great this week too. I, I mean, I hope with what was revealed from Cisco's vibe that, um, everyone will cut Harrison a little more slack, uh, this in, in the future, at least for now. Um, I feel like we're a lot more informed about Harrison than we ever have been. Uh, and that was really nice part of this episode as well. Iris kind of played a smaller role this week, but it was still very important and, and will continue to be important as far as Linda goes. We can just assume we don't have to see it on screen, but we can assume that, you know, she's going to have to be a support system for Linda, not only because Linda's had to face all of this trauma with zoom, uh, but also, uh, you know, just as a support on how to keep the big secret, right? And I really like the Iris and Linda stuff this week. Now, Caitlin actually got a little lost in this episode. There's little mentions of Jay Garrick, and, and well, Caitlin has a line here or there. But there's all of these other things that are going on, and it's kind of hard, I think, to bring everybody in the forefront. She just didn't really stand out to me all that much in this episode. Um, Cisco was important, of course. He did the vibe thing with Harrison and was the one to finally get Zoom to let Barry go. And, of course, he was one of the more humorous aspects of the whole training thing. Um, so I have no complaints about either of them. Uh, I thought that they were they fold their roles, whatever they were, uh, just fine. I just would like to see a little more Caitlin and, and try and figure out what this whole Jay thing means to her and if we're going to get Jay back. And I guess that's it for Flash. Overall, I think this episode really, I, I so enjoyed this episode. It needs to be placed in the higher echelons of the of the great episodes that we've had of the series so far. Is it the best episode of Flash ever? Personally, I don't think so. Um, but I would definitely place it, you know, among the better episodes for sure. And I'm going to give this episode a 9.3 on my 10 scale because it had great pacing. The humor, the action, the scary, everything uh, was just fantastic about this episode. And with that, why don't we move on to Arrow, Lost Souls. Now, first off, when we were told that Oliver was going to be Green Arrow this year and there was kind of this promise of lightheartedness, I really didn't buy it for a second. I don't see how a show can change its vibe that much. And there have been some good jokes in various episodes uh, this season. Maybe Oliver does seem a little less grave than he did before, a little more lighthearted himself. But for the most part, the story has still been pretty much on par with other seasons of Arrow, where the, the story itself seems to be pretty darn dark. At least until this episode, because even the dark stuff in this episode was kind of overshadowed by all of the funny. The episode did have serious moments, of course, but the tone was much more like what we see in Flash or, or Supergirl, uh, closer to those shows than uh, most of the time that you see Arrow, and certainly not what I typically expect from most Arrow episodes. I, I don't think this is a trend. I really don't. I hope that not everything is getting watered down to a single formula for all of these shows. You gotta remember these showrunners, they're like they've got their hands in so many pies right now. Um it's gotta be hard to keep managing it so separately and, and do a good job. But I, I I'll I'll keep holding my hope that uh the shows will differ somewhat and not just have the same kind of vibe pardon the pun uh throughout all of them uh i don't really want that i want some variety um but in this particular case i really didn't mind it as much because ray's return coupled with felicity's mom i mean this episode was great it was really fun uh, despite some of the darkness in it it was still very fun to watch and i got a lot more laughs out of it than i expected and let's talk about Ray Palmer for a second. I mean, nice to have Ray Palmer back. He's such a brainy, absurd dude. I just love seeing him again. And, and he really delivered in this episode for me. Brandon Roth truly does uh, make Ray a really lovable and fun character. We did get an explanation of how he survived the explosion. 
though I still kind of find that a little bit unbelievable because I don't think the size would have made that much difference. I think he still would have been burnt to a crisp. Nonetheless, as long as they give us some reason, then I'm just happy to have him back. And he hasn't decided whether or not to stay dead. I mean, that kind of reeks as a uh, really convenient reason to not have him on as a, a regular in this show and to move him on to the Legends of Tomorrow show that we all know is coming. But that, again, that's okay. At least we know that we'll be seeing some more Ray Palmer yet again in the future somewhere in this universe. I know that this tizzy, this whole Ray thing set off in Felicity, probably uh, set Elicity shippers on their own kind of fit for a, a minute or two in this episode. But they really, they, they quelled it pretty quickly. When you have the addition of, of Felicity's mom, um, that helped keep it all in check. Uh, to where we didn't have to endure the thought of a, a love triangle on this show for more than maybe 30 seconds. Um, and I'm glad that they've, they've kind of nipped the whole Ray and Felicity thing in the bud. Uh, at least it seems that way. Uh, and and <clears throat> they actually did it in a pretty satisfying way. Speaking of Felicity, uh, her urgency in this episode was fantastic. And I loved her interactions with Curtis as well. Um, I love how we get that Ray really wasn't the issue for her. Uh, it was more about her fear of, of how she feels that she's having to struggle to keep her own identity. And that's because of the way that she feels about Oliver rather than struggling with, with being with Oliver because Ray's still alive. That was a much nicer issue to try and tackle for Felicity. And, and I love that she you know, saw through all the clutter and, and saw what her problem was. And then she has her mom to, to basically help her through that a little bit. And the only real problem that I really see for Felicity right now is it really seems to me like Damien Dark does know who she is. They kind of emphasize that. And, and even though she kind of played it off at the end of the episode, I, I think that it's very real. And I worry now especially after seeing what happened in this episode uh, regarding Thea and Sarah, which I'll get to in a minute, I now am worried that Felicity's name might be on that gravestone, um, that we might have to move that one to the front runner. Um, and I guess I'll go ahead and talk about that uh, instead of Thea, because with this whole Sarah thing, uh, she's she's not killing Thea she'll kill anybody else but she's not killing Thea and I now declare myself officially completely confused regarding this bloodlust thing I mean I was under the impression they were going to handle this where Sarah didn't have the bloodlust problem at all of course they did but if the bloodlust is there then why is Sarah not wanting to kill Thea every time she sees her or at very least if they get into these violent situations. Why doesn't that amp her up and she turn on Thea then? Because uh, I was under the impression that the primary instinct of the bloodlust is to kill the person that killed you. Well, there she is, right next to you, Sarah. Yet, you'll break somebody else's neck. Is that because you can control it? Is that because uh, the writers just don't want you to go after Thea right now? I, I It just didn't make any sense to me. Um but they're going to have Sarah leave again and again, conveniently again, probably because they, they need Sarah to go over to legends of tomorrow. Um, and I don't know if, or when we'll ever get a full explanation as to why, if Sarah does have the bloodlust, why she didn't try to kill Thea. Hopefully we'll get some kind of explanation to that. Um, I just don't know when, I don't know how they can explain it, but uh, I'm sure that they'll think of something. I'll, I'll keep my faith in the showrunners that they they can um, do that. Um, there were some nice moments with the girls in this episode too. I told you that, that I felt like this one was a lot more a lot more lighthearted uh, when Felicity was kind of going after Oliver on the headset, uh, seeing uh, Laurel and Sarah and and Thea kind of smirking at the whole conversation. Um, that was some really nice levity, and it made me appreciate the episode, despite this darker stuff around Sarah. 
um, you know, who now evidently does have the bloodlust, and she, she still seems pretty distressed about it. I don't know why she thinks going away is going to help her at all, but I don't know. Um, we'll have to see. And as for Thea, there's only a couple of things I'll say about her in general. I still don't think that she's out of the woods with her own bloodlust yet, because we still had Malcolm tell her that, you know, it never really goes away, that the, the fix that he gave her was only temporary. Um, yet Sarah seemingly was like, well, Thea, you're handling it. I don't know if it's something that they can get a hold of. Uh, we we need more explanation of that. But um, since Thea isn't a, a threat to Sarah's own bloodlust thing, I, I'm still worried that she might have the bloodlust reoccur in her in the future. And also, did anybody else's senses tingle just a little bit uh, with this sudden dating Oliver's campaign manager? I mean, isn't there something that just tells you that something is bound to go wrong with that? I mean, I can't exactly decide what I think is the most likely thing. I mean, is she just going to kill him? Is he going to find out her speedy identity? Is he a plant of Damien Darks? Those are the three possibilities that I come up with most prevalently. And again, I'm just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping that something sticks later on down the line. But something bad is going to happen either around this guy or because of this guy. I just, just, I just know it just seems all of a sudden now they're dating. It, that's not just to add a little bit of CW mandate spark into things. I don't think this has to be plot driven in one way or another. Um, if he is working for dark, let's, let's talk about dark for a second. Actually, we saw some more of his powers this week. We found out what was in his box well, sort of. I mean, I still actually don't have any idea what it is, but it definitely has something to do with his plan for the city, right? Or for the world, for that matter. And I, I suspect that it's also connected to Ray's micro-sizing technology, why he was so interested in Ray. But again, there's not enough information um, here to really hazard a guess for me. Maybe you have one. Why don't you send me an email? Save this city podcast at gmail.com. And let me know what you think that Damien Dark is up to. Um, but yeah, I, I almost kind of want to believe that, that that guy, that campaign manager, is one of his plants. Which is another thing he kind of, you know, he was kind of alluding to the fact that he kind of knew who Oliver was, or who Green Arrow was. I don't know if he knows or not, but he was alluding to that fact. I think it's all got to be tied in. I'll talk a little bit more about that later as well. And I only briefly mentioned her before uh, in regards to Felicity and, and, and Oliver, but three cheers for Mama Smoke, right? I mean, I absolutely adore Charlotte Ross. I loved her in NYPD Blue many years ago, and I love that she really gets to demonstrate her ability as an actress because no two roles could ever be more different than her role on NYPD blue and, and, and her role here as, as mama smoke. Uh, they're just complete total opposites. And, and she does both just masterfully to me. Um, it was written pretty funny, her stuff and none of it was overly cheesy, I guess. Um, at least to me, Plus, Charlotte Ross hasn't, like, freaking aged a day since the 90s, as far as I can tell. She's, like, got the the Fountain of Youth bottled somewhere. She looks amazing. And it was good to have her there to hope, you know, to temper the whole illicity angst that we all had there for a moment really quickly. And I love that her and Quentin met up, which, you know, just a side note for Laurel, evidently... She's been keeping her word about not keeping any secrets from her dad because every time we see Sarah do something screwed up or be messed up in this episode, the very next time we see Daddy Lance, he knows what's going on. He knows what has happened. Um, so Laurel is uh, keeping her word to her dad about including him in all things. So that's good. Um, but yeah, back to back to uh, like a, a Lance smoke thing here. Um Boy, that would make everything at the holidays a little weird, wouldn't it? 
I mean, having Daddy Lance and Mama Smoke coupled up, and then you have two of Oliver's exes who are Lance's daughters, and you have, uh, of course, uh, Oliver and Felicity all sitting at a table uh, carving up a, a, a Christmas turkey or something like that. Yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> uh, but it, it was a nice kind of touch at the, near the end of the episode to have like these two fairly stressed out parents who are consoling each other about their children who are just happen to be out saving the world. Um, it was almost comical too, but it was, it was nice that they, they can, they can find some comfort in each other, at least in that moment. Let's see. What else haven't I covered about team arrow? Oh, Diggle. I'm really glad that, uh, Diggle, uh, had a little, uh, side stock. He knew Oliver well enough to know that he'd need something. And even if they don't have their vodka, well, they've got their Tennessee whiskey. And what's best about it is to see them talking as friends again, the way they used to. And Diggle, you know, he did his own part in helping to quell that whole Ray Felicity angst, uh, himself. And then we have Felicity give him a name, Spartan. That's the name that she uh, called him uh, when they were still going under code names because Kurt was with him. Um, now I looked that up uh, in the uh, you know I put in Spartan DC and yes there is a Spartan character uh, in the DC comics, but I I don't know how to equate it with Dickel because this Spartan character evidently is some kind of like android that has the memories of a human in it or the memories of of some race in it um so i don't know is that mean that diggle could be on the headstone and maybe his memories will just be floating around you know they keep the helmet i guess and and just have uh some kind of robot body or something with diggle's head in it that just for the you know to make him actually spartan uh, in the same way god i hope not <laughs> I really don't want that. I, I wonder if any of you were disappointed by that name, or do you think it was just a comic book call out for the sake of it? Is that what it really was? It wasn't really. Um, it was just something to just to, to give a little shout out. Um, maybe that's what it was. That's what I hope it was. Um, Oliver, for his part, you know, he was great because he didn't let his frustration get to him too terribly much. I, I fell for him because he could really seemingly do no right until him and Felicity finally talked it all out. But he behaved fairly admirably. He didn't overreact, uh, which was good. I think Oliver in years past might have overreacted a little bit. And again, I mentioned it earlier, but I wonder if Dark does know who he is. Like Curtis was even suspecting Oliver for a second too, even though Curtis kind of disqualified it after a minute. But Maybe Curtis is just a little too logical. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, the Curtis stuff was great, as I mentioned. Um, but the thing I'm really concerned about is if Dark has Felicity pegged, I could see him not really having that much of a problem uh, pegging Oliver either. Um, he's a smart dude, a very scary dude. And the only other thing I haven't covered are the flashbacks, and I don't guess there's too much to report on that this week. Um, we did find some kind of message from these ancients, whoever they are, um, whatever the hell the message means, no idea. Um, we had Oliver go back to that girl that he saved earlier. And that seemed weird to me because I thought that that was just something to, you know, to show Oliver having to work against the group that he was infiltrating, um, at the same time that he was infiltrating and to set up the fact that this guy found the pack. But none of that really seems to matter. But the fact that he came back to the girl just makes me think that she's going to be a, a lot bigger part of these flashbacks than I re originally suspected. So I don't know who she's supposed to be uh, in the show or if she's supposed to be anybody. Um, but it just seemed, I don't know, the fact that they brought her back makes me think that we're going to see her a lot more often than I I thought we would have. And I guess that's it for Arrow. So let me give you a rating. I, I really like the humor in this. I loved having a lot of the old gang back in the same episode. Uh, I'm going to go like 8.9 for this episode. I, ha I can't go above a 9 because this bloodlust thing is just really bothering me. 
I, I just can't figure out what's going on with that. Um, we need some more explanation and I hope that Sarah's leaving doesn't deprive us of that. Um, like I said, I'll have to have faith that the, the, the showrunners will, um, clue us in on that a little bit, uh, later on down the line. Maybe it, it becomes important, um, in a future episode. So hopefully we will get a reason. They wouldn't just throw that against the wall unless they had a reason for that. So, uh, and plus it, you know, it still gets an 8.9 because it gets an 8.9 alone on Ray Palmer and, and Mama Smoke. They rock. And uh, that's it. That's it for the Arrow. Uh, the Supergirl discussion I always do after the end music so that we can get to your Flash and Arrow feedback first for those of you who just are watching those two shows and aren't watching Supergirl on CBS. Uh, so let's get to the feedback right now. Feedback. Your thoughts on this week's episodes. All right. Uh, only a couple of little items of feedback uh, this week. First, a tweet from at I am King underscore 45, who says love hashtag Mama Smoke. Excellent. Thank you so much for the tweet. I do, too. Uh, very much so. And then I have this email from Justin it came in who says, I don't know who's worse, Zoom or Damien Dark, but I don't want to meet either of them in a dark alley or anywhere. You know how sometimes a show will talk up a villain all season, and when they finally pop up, they're not all that, or they are, but they get taken down pretty quickly. So far, none of that applies to Zoom or Dark. I mean, Zoom showed up in Central City, Episode 6, and literally dragged Barry all throughout the city, completely embarrassed him, and left him paralyzed. No respect. And Dark showed up day one and continues to show he's no one to mess with. Sure, they tricked him up a little bit this episode, but he's clearly got plans for the city. I'm team villains this season. Well, not really, but they sure are scary fun. As far as flashbacks go, I really don't feel for them one way or the other. I guess I've just been sort of conditioned to accept them. Sometimes they come up with a decent storyline for the week, and other times it's just stuff. Anyway, I don't want to make this too long. Just going to wrap up by saying both shows continue to impress. The Flash especially, which I kind of hate to say because I feel a weird need to stay loyal to Arrow since I was a fan of that show since day one, and it's been kind of the leader or the guinea pig for all of these live-action superhero shows. Uh... Great, Justin. Thank you so much for the email. And folks, that's going to do it for us. Don't forget, I do have Supergirl discussion after the end music if you watch that show. Otherwise, feel free to send me an email like Justin did. Save this city podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at Save This City Pod the same way I am King underscore 45 did. And if you want, you can also leave a voicemail, 314-669-1840. We hope to hear from you. Remember, you can find all of that stuff at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. This is Matt. See you next time. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to SaveThisCityPodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at SaveThisCityPod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use. Hey, the end music's over, so we're in the Supergirl section of the podcast right now. If you don't watch Supergirl, then you're, you're basically done. I'm not going to talk anymore about Flash or Arrow. And if you do watch Supergirl, then stick around. And I'll just start by, you know, again saying the name of the episode is Fight or Flight, um, which is uh, the third episode. Again, it was written by Michael Grassi and... Rachel Schukert and directed by Dermot Downs. And 
really the the whole overall theme of this particular episode is Kara trying to step out of the shadow of her cousin. Well, actually, a lot of people trying to step out of Superman's shadow. Because um, you have this interview with Kara and, and Kat that did not go so well. Uh, and the the result is an article that doesn't seem very flattering to Kara. Um, the thing is, is as the episode progressed, and I love how Alex gets to the end point that kind of makes everything all right. Is she says that there's a hint of respect in that article as well. Um, and Kara's whole struggle with this episode is, is stepping out of her cousin's shadow. Jimmy's trying to do it too. Uh, you know, oh, pardon me, James Olson is trying to do that. Well, the, the whole problem kind of manifests itself to its fullest, I guess, when, uh, Superman comes and, and saves Kara from Reactron. And of course that's where it takes James to admit about his being scared. And he kind of steps out from Superman's shadow by at the end of the episode being pretty brave without using that cheesy watch and still trying to draw Reactron away from Kara. But man, that watch was terrible. That was the first bad prop I've seen in this series so far. Um, but yeah, James gave Kara a chance by using himself as bait. So that's how he kind of steps out from Superman's shadow himself. I found the whole telling when who Superman is a little concerning. Uh, and I also found that chat sequence at the end a little concerning. And I'm not saying that those characters wouldn't ever do that. And I even find it touching that, that Kara and Clark might reach out to each other as family from time to time. I'm just saying that I'm concerned simply because I'm pretty sure like a, that wasn't a completely secure chat line and like everyone's concern about revealing the cousin connection to, to cat grant, uh, that places both Kara and Superman in additional danger from any revenging Superman or Supergirl villains. So, it's not like I'm nitpicking it at the fact that they're doing this. It's just I'm I'm concerned that we have this safety for the characters, especially like when, because I'm just waiting for an episode somewhere down the line where uh, one of these villains tortures Win into revealing uh, Kara's secret. You know, um, but I'm going to get to win a little bit more in just a minute. And of course, it is awfully convenient that that Alex and, and Hank kind of come up for a solution right at the time that Kara needs it to save James. And it was very convenient that there just happened to be something made of lead right in front of her. And this is nitpick. I I have to say that holding something with a lead hand is not encasing something in lead. She needed to cover that whole thing in lead. It still should have gone off. It still should have blown up. So that is my nitpick, I guess. And you've heard me complain about, you know, the CW's mandate for Flash and Arrow with the whole love triangle thing. Now it seems like the CBS network also has to have some kind of luck love angst in its shows and this gives us this kind of really weird quadrangle of love angst going on in this show because you have Wynn who has it for Kara you have Kara who has it for James and James is who is now seemingly off some kind of relationship with Lucy Lane evidently recently it just seems like this is going to play out over quite a while and that's one aspect of the story that I never look forward to. I know I said that, that I was okay with the Barry Patty thing, but nobody, nobody's going anywhere with this right now. It's just all with, with Supergirl. It's just all set up. There's nothing but the setup for potential angst all the way down the line. And I feel bad for Wynn because, I mean, he's going to be on the outside. He doesn't have a chance against a guy like James, right? Except that he will have a chance because James will decide that he wants to be with Kara instead of Lucy Lane right at the time that Kara has given up on James and will go out on a date with Wynn. And then he'll just get, poor Wynn will just get hurt. 
Um, I, I generally don't like this kind of stuff. To me, this kind of thing is the most unrealistic aspect of any television show is to have all of these love things going on all at the same time in such a tight circle. I mean, to me, that's almost more unrealistic than a pair of aliens flying around on the planet to save it all the time. But I don't want to sound like that I didn't care for this episode. I mean, let's move on to some parts that I really actually did like, like the interview itself. I loved how Cat Grant was like, you know, practically bored to tears before finding out about the cousin thing because she's looking for something different. She that that's Cat Grant that we've already well established uh, in the first two episodes. She was she's looking for a scoop. She wants to scoop the Daily Planet. It's a competitive nature. And when Supergirl is not providing her with that scoop until she gets to the cousin thing, then, you know, she's literally just bored. And then you have that whole routine of, of writing with Kat, you know, how she needs these certain distractions taken away. She needs a certain kind of coffee. She needs the guy with the red hair to be moved because it's distracting her. That that was fantastic. But it also brings me to the scene with this Maxwell Lord character who I really love because he's so cocky and yet obviously very brilliant and just as much of a diva as Kat is. And even his interactions with everyone, they were just kind of a great touch of, of showing a guy who you don't necessarily like, but he just seems to eat up every moment of, of screen time that he's in. And remember, he did put himself up to Reactron to be taken instead of one of his own people. The great thing about that, though, is that you don't know if it was just his ego that was fueling him to offer himself to Reactron because he didn't think that his underling uh, could do what he could do, or if he was actually trying to save the guy's life out of some, you know, soft spot of nobility. It doesn't even really matter uh, what, you know, which way it falls, because either way is acceptable for that character. And man, that Cat Grant, uh, Maxwell Lord dance, that was fantastic to me. You know, that that's just a couple of National City Power Divas just showing off to each other. That was fantastic. Another thing that I liked about this episode was the Reactron character himself. I, I liked exploring the possibilities that everyone, even bad guys, they have reasons for what they do. Um, and this is not to say that I condone at all what Reactron is, is doing but I can see how a man who loved his wife so much and, and lost her would be driven to that kind of insanity. And more importantly, I, I think it shows that, you know, Superman is not perfect. He, he's as imperfect as Kara herself. Um, neither of them are completely infallible. I also, I say this every week regarding these shows, but uh, the chemistry and, and the sense of caring and, and sisterhood that you get from Shyler and, and Melissa's scenes together of, of Kara and Alex, those have been great just in every episode, um, or at least they have to be. Now, as for Alex's boss, Hank Henshaw, right? Old Red Eyes, um, those showed up again. The, the only thing I don't like about that is the places that he shows us viewers those eyes is in the headquarters set up to detect that exact kind of thing and probably best set up to detect that kind of thing. It doesn't seem like that's a very smart move unless everybody there knows who he is except us and I don't know if Alex knows and there's still no real clue as to whether he's nefarious or not. Um, he certainly definitely seems to be willing to, to bend the rules and, and follow Alex's lead about Kara. And, you know, he occasionally has these over-the-top cheesy kind of moments that CBS is known for. Uh, so as long as he's got that role all of the time, then that's fine. But right now, I, I, I like Hank, uh, despite old red eyes, because I don't know what that is. I'm pretty sure that that's going to be a, a slow burn aspect of this season. I don't think we're going to get any answers to that anytime soon. Um, 
it it seems to me like that the showrunners here are approaching this series much more like Flash than like Arrow, um, because it is generally lighthearted. There do seem to be some deep seated mysteries that are going to have to play out over time, um, and it's never lacking in action. That's f- for sure, and. I I really was kind of pleased with this episode. I wasn't super excited about it like I was about the first two. I'm going to give this episode a seven, I think, a straight seven. Uh, And mainly that's because there's too many let's couple people up and break them apart before anything meaningful happens kind of lead in that this episode had. But it was a good story about, you know, trying to do the impossible, and that is stepping out of Superman's shadow. Um, we had a really good villain. I like the Reactron villain. Um, and, again, we had a couple of uh, power-hungry divas giving us some great humor in the episode. have just a couple tweets from at MightiestCast on Twitter regarding the Supergirl stuff, uh, and they were listening to... Uh, there are podcasts that also covers the same shows that I'm covering right now. They're a great cast. Listen to them. Um, that's at Michael Aaron underscore Aaron on Twitter is the guy who runs that podcast. Um, but uh, you can follow them on Twitter directly at Mightiest Cast. Um, but this was after they were listening to my episode last week. It says finishing up your ep now. I was confused about the blade that Hank used as well and why Astra didn't know what it was. I, too, assumed it was a kryptonite blade, but if it was, why wouldn't Astra know that? That was very unclear to me. Otherwise, I'm really enjoying Supergirl, surprisingly good, and I see a lot of parallels with The Flash. So we're pretty much on board with the same stuff there. Um, Thanks, guys, for giving the podcast a listen. I'm listening to you guys every week, too. And folks, if you want to uh, check in with me, once again, save the city podcast at gmail.com, or you can do what at mightiest cast did, and you can tweet me at save the city pod, or you can always leave a voicemail 314-669-1840. This is Matt. Thanks for listening. Take care.